Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Miss Amanda Chen Show. I've just put up five episodes of the 100 Masked Men series, and wow, I gotta say, it's already been a fucking journey. Today, I want to introduce you to an incredible man I encountered on my search for allies who are also working on improving connections through a better understanding of our sexuality and ourselves. Devin Fredrickson helps men harness their sexual power, embody masculinity, and transform their lives. And he's also hoping to level the playing field by developing group work that includes him and his partner. We talk about what might get in the way of our sexual power, and I learn a lot about his interpretation of the inner masculine and feminine. And I absolutely love his personal motto that how you have sex is how you live your life. If you've been following along on my journey to better understand men and where their sexual shortcomings may be, listen up. This is an incredible episode, and I am so honored to have him here with us today. So let's get into it. Devin, tell us about yourself. I am a men's embodiment and confidence coach. I am a regenerative agriculturist and permaculture designer and consultant. I am a human and a man of this earth, and I'm here to help men reclaim their relationship with sexuality so they can heal their relationship with the earth and the feminine inside them and all around them, as well as to help humans remember their wholeness and live life as it's intended to be in the celebration, in a gift, in the miracle that it is, and, and to recognize that and live that. And I do that through food, through coaching, through group programs, through retreats, nature excursions. And really, I'm just, I'm here to be myself and really unlearn so much of what society has said I need to be. So that way I can also give permission to my fellow humans as well if, if they need that. What began that journey for you? Was there a tipping point that kind of took you away from the material world to feel the need to express this? Yeah, very much so. So I read this book in 2000 and well, <laughs> before I read the book, I had a near-death experience and I took 2.1 grams of MDMA. A normal dose or a very strong dose of MDMA is 0.1 to 0.2 grams. I took 21 times that amount. And I had an overdose and I mm. left my body and I had to find my way back to life. Because once I realized that I was out of my body and I was in the void and completely not here, I realized that I was not done in a sense. Like my choice was like, I'm not done here on earth. And so I had to find my way back to my body through space, through time, through dimensions. And when I came back to my body, I realized, and it was, I'm, I'm condensing it as much as possible. When I came back to my body, I couldn't breathe for a long time, even though I was able to observe and see everything that was going on. And I was out of my body, looking down at my body, completely passed out. When I came back to my body, I couldn't breathe. And then finally, I was able to breathe again. And that breath just burst me into tears because I realized I'd been living life without this appreciation, without this gratitude of showing up in the moment and embracing all that is. And I was so dumbfounded that I'd been living that long. So that sparked everything. I then changed my diet, my food. I stopped eating meat and dairy and all animal products and... I started only going to the farmer's market and only eating local food and making all my own food. And then I actually took some space for my family. I didn't come back to Maui because I'm originally born and raised on Maui. I didn't come back to Maui for the summer of my sophomore year going into my junior year of college. And when I was there, I found this book called The Language Older Than Words. And when I read that book, 
I learned about all the atrocities that humans do in the name of progress, in the name of what they believe is really supporting the perpetuation of humanity and to really be impacted by what I perceive to be idiotic, arrogant, ignorant, stupid choices, like launching a satellite up that has a a 92% failure rate that causes nuclear fallout across the earth is just one example like what what are we doing and so it really caused me to look at my relationship with life what am i actually creating what am i wanting to give to life and yeah that was that that book really helped me recognize that there's a language older than words that i can communicate with plants i can communicate with animals and i've i've experienced it i've totally had it happen i've experienced with so many different things i've had experiences with the cosmos where i saw 16 shooting stars in one night and they, they were every place that i was talking about with this group of individuals and by the end of the night everyone was like there's obviously a conversation going on and so it just showed me that there's so much more to life than we've been shown, than I've been shown. And that helped me to really get involved. And so that led me into the permaculture world. And from the permaculture world, I got to see that human relationships seem to be the most challenging aspect of intentional communities, of past human civilizations, whatever it was. And so It was my work in permaculture, in regenerative agriculture, in growing food, in cultivating community that led me to want to work with humans even more to help humans recognize that there's nothing wrong. We've been given this story that there's something wrong and there's nothing wrong with us. It's just we have things to work through and we get to do that collectively or we get to do that alone in an isolation. And I don't think that we thrive in that way. So that's a roundabout way of saying my transformation of, of what got me to that place. That's beautiful. Do you think that you needed a crisis like that to really wake you up? Or did you think you would have come to that naturally in a different scenario? Knowing my spirit and witnessing my journey, I feel like I would have come to it on my own. And my trajectory where I was at is... I was letting external sources drive me. I was raised with an educational system that taught me to look for the authority outside of myself and to expect answers and not know how to actually learn how to seek or learn how to ask questions and go in. So I feel like it's two part. Like I believe I would have come to that eventually because the truth always reveals itself and I was in a place where I was drinking a lot and I was in a place where I was really emotionally hurt and had a lot of trust broken and it allowed me the opportunity to, to change those ways, which I didn't really see at that time. I didn't see how addicted I was to societal patterns or ways of being that I didn't actually want to be a part of. Yeah, I think it's insane how much priority we put into the external world for yeah. a while until we realize what is it really giving back to us? You know, this is these are just materials that we've mm-hmm. put to distract ourselves from the true work. And I think it's interesting that you said that the complication is a lot with relationships and the feeling that we all have something that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about mm. fixing your partner or fixing yourself or, you know, there's something wrong with you. You have to go get help. 
And I think you said it the best way by saying it's just work we have to do on ourselves. And we prioritize work for mm -hmm. so many other things, right? Like working on our business, working on anything, right? Where do you think we got that idea from of needing to fix ourselves and the focus on work to be external? A lot of, you're in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are in a geographical region of the world that was highly influenced by Puritan ideals. And before that, those people were influenced by other controlling ideals. And it's hard not to point the finger at Christianity. It's hard not to point the finger at the Bible and to say like, look at this one book that seems to be cast across the world, seems to be pretty existent almost everywhere I've gone. And there's this belief of the sin, that we're all born with sin, that we are connected to the lineage of Adam and Eve who ate an apple off of a tree here on earth. And to me, that story is portraying that our innocence, our nakedness, our pure existence of being in a human body and eating raw fruit that comes off of a tree that is giving, that wants to perpetuate itself, that there's something wrong with that. You know, there's, there's certain people and, and ways of perception that say that the snake was really an alien that came down and helped us remember how to live or maybe live in more harmony here on earth. That story to me the concept of sin and the concept of like being naked and being in our innocence and being in just our natural state of God or creator or spirit, how we were made is that there's something wrong. I believe that story is a huge misalignment. It's a way to deplete people's sexual energy. It's a way to deplete their power. It's a way to deplete their confidence and to give that power to someone else that they have to atone for their sins or that they have to repent or heal something that is just inherent in our existence. So I think that's one thing. And then the other thing is, it's been occurring to me this week, and it's been really landing for me and not fully, I'm still bringing it into cohesiveness and being able to express it is there's things that don't feel like they're mine. And there's things that don't feel like they are human. Like hatred, and, mm -hmm. and different things like that that feel like they've been given to us, feel like they've been either forced on us or brainwashed into us or whatever it may be. And there's also this other concept of totalitarian agriculture, where we as humans are the ones who need to control everything, as if there's this concept of lack, like we don't have enough. And totalitarian agriculture has arisen from a place of fear and trying to control the environment rather than working with nature and knowing that we're a part of nature. And if we do very subtle shifts and very intricate workings and pruning and trimming and planting with nature, we can actually fully thrive. And in Turtle Island, in, in North America, the people, the indigenous people who lived there before Europeans got there were working in that way. They planted, they had different tracks where they would plant and cultivate food. And up in Oregon, where I was living at this one intentional community, and I was the educational director there, I was learning about the people who live there. And there's this camas bulb, which is a plant, which has a beautiful flower. The native people would go at different times of the year and migrate through that area and harvest these bulbs. It's like a starchy root vegetable. 
but they're small. But they would harvest it in a way that would leave enough for the next year. So they could come back and they know through their listening, through their interaction, through the language older than words, they knew that if they cared for it, if they stewarded it, they would be provided for. And I think that that's been broken in some totalitarian agricultural societies and cultures where we, generalizing, we force our idea onto it, how it needs to be rather than working with it. And like, I'm right here in Maui and it's like, okay, it's a tropical environment here. And there's also elevation. And where I'm at is more tropical than my mom's farm up at 3000 feet. And there's a different growing environment down here than up there. And I'm going to grow more tropical plants down here than trying to grow tropical plants up at 3000 feet. And so I know that I'm saying a lot of stuff and kind of going on different tangents. And I think that the concept of looking externally, like why are we trying to go to Mars and different planets and spend all these resources (laughs) if we haven't figured out how to live in harmony here on earth? And so I'm actively dissecting and diving into this. And I love that question because it's been so alive within me this week, because if you're open to me, I'll I'll share a story that really has sparked all of this. I went to go repair and fix the toilet at my girlfriend's space. And I bought the repair kit because I tried to do everything possible without having to buy something new. Because I'm like, this is a very simple, easy fix. Why can't I just fix it? I kept on trying it the way the plastic was, wasn't able to fix it. And so I went and bought the replacement part, which is just the flusher lever. And I get it out of the package and I cannot unscrew the nut that will hold on to the lever. And I can't get it off. And I try and I try and I'm definitely getting frustrated. And then finally, I'm able to, with enough force, finally start twisting the nut. But then it didn't come off. It was off the threads. It could not come off. And I tried and I tried to use a hammer and a screwdriver and some tension to like remove it and nothing was going on. At that point, it just started to really ignite a lot of thinking inside of myself. I then had a conversation with a friend who was talking about this abortion that he and his partner had just gone through two weeks before and how he's been crying and going through so much sadness and did he make the right choice, blah, 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 blah. Like It brought us to the point in the conversation of what am I creating? What am I a part of? And to me, I, I've said culture a couple of times. Culture means or like the root word of culture is cultare which means to cultivate and so i was asking myself what do i want to be cultivating what culture do i want to be creating what culture do i want to be a part of because i certainly don't want to be a part of a culture that glorifies mass-produced products that don't work that planned obsolescence is a part of the system that's trying to make things fail rather than create a society and a culture that's sovereign and create individuals who are sovereign who can then point out the downfalls or the blind spots or the shadows of the collective and to recognize that as individuals are sovereigns sovereign beings the collective is a sovereign being because we all are participating in a sovereign space that's what's been so alive within me is is asking that same question like how did we get here? What's actually going on? And I feel like that's why I'm going so far back because I'm like, I really don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me why I would want to be a part of something that doesn't value quality. And to me, that's, that's my projection onto the collective is that the collective doesn't value quality, that the collective wants cheap, wants quantity. And 
my work with agriculture and farming and nutrition, because I'm also a chef, is people are overfed and undernourished. And, and I think that applies across the board of just like quantity over quality. That reminds me, I used to work in the beauty industry and mm. I would always learn about different types of moisturizers, you know, skincare and just like all of these applications that you would put onto your skin and none of them are really natural. And I remember thinking, well, people would ask me, does this moisturizer work? And I would say, yeah, if you frequently apply it, you know, and that's the same thing as creating a product that kind of doesn't work, but only works by you doing it often, you know, mm -hmm. and that perpetuates that need for consumption and that need for feeling like something needs to get fixed, <sighs> you know, and if we bring it all the way to Eve, and I think that story is super dangerous because I don't think there's enough explanation about how much we're born in shame, you know, yeah. that like, as soon as we're born, we immediately need to clothe ourselves. My sister-in-law was, I was over for dinner and her son, who's five years old, was pointing at her and, and uh, he was like, is that your nipple? And what I thought was really interesting is she responded by saying, no, it's just my breast area. She didn't mm. know how to say this. We're at the dinner table. It's a kind of awkward question. He just didn't know what to say. But if he said that to my brother or a male about that nipple, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But you know, as soon as it's talking to a mother's nipple, all of a sudden it's just like, everyone drops their, their cutlery. They're just kind of a weird moment of, of awkwardness. So yeah, I think there's a, a lot of shame that gets involved with depending mm. on which gender, who says it, if it's you know a child to mother situation, we're born with so much of that judgment immediately. Yeah. So I know you've been doing a lot of work with sexuality and relationships. What would you say traditionally are the issues that people face generally across the board with sexuality when it comes to working with the opposite sex? Shame. Shame is a big piece mm -hmm. because if people believe that their body is bad, like that specific thing, right? Like so many people at a young age are told to not touch themselves, to not explore themselves, to put clothes on, all of the things that are inherent to us that are just part of the exploration of living in a body. And like children are completely curious and they explore all parts of them. They put their toes in their mouth. And after a while, they're like, I actually don't want to eat that because like I feel what it is when I bite my own fingers or I bite my own toes. Like I don't actually want to eat myself. And it's the same thing. Like, what is my body? Whether it's a young boy or a young girl, they're like, what's this? Just like they touch their arm. The, our sexual genitalia is, there's nothing wrong about that. So shame is a big one. Trauma. How many individuals, men and women that I've worked with that I know who have been sexually abused? I don't know a woman from like the conversations that I've had with them and like asking them who has not had some form of sexual abuse. It's not every single man, but a lot of the men that I've worked with too. I would say like 75 to 80% of the men. And it takes a long time for that to come out. I am just finishing up one group coaching program, one of the programs that I lead. And we're 11 weeks in. And now a man finally said that he's, been, he's, had, he's dealt with sexual abuse. And I, I'm like, wait, we've been meeting at least once a week in addition to all of the calls that they're having with each other and 11 weeks in, he shares it. Like it's, it's crazy. The amount of sexual trauma that has gone on. So shame, trauma, 
And then also, I think the other big piece of it is just overall lack of awareness, lack of education. Simply put, your nephew, who's asking a question, who's in a state of education, who's in a state of curiosity and learning, hey, mommy, is that your nipple? Oh, when really all it is, is it's our body. It's like someone pointing at a tree and being like, oh, is that the seed from the tree? And like, if we go into it, the seed is a sexual reproduction of the, or the sexual reproductive like byproduct of that tree. We don't think anything of it, but it's like, oh, if I'm a little boy and I point to my mommy's nipple, like by golly, I can't tell him that it's a nipple. I, at first yeah. I was thinking that like you all were naked or something because he's like actually able to see her nipple or something. That's not the case though, right? No, like it's just showing through. Yeah, yeah, showing through. So it's just like- Yeah, he was just curious. Yeah. yeah. Yes, son. Like that mommy has a nipple just like you. Men and women, male and female. Exactly. That should have been the answer. Right? What I was, what I got to see the other day and it really landed for me is the parents- who were of like the baby boomer generation, those parents and also the ones who were born of the depression, there's this story that they are like, I don't want my children to experience what I experienced. That focus, Mm -hmm. if it's a reframe in, I want my children to have the best life possible, that's totally different than I don't want my children to experience what I experienced. Because that's saying that those people have not addressed their own traumas, their own challenges, their own issues, their own shadows. And really what's gone on is it's just been projected onto us. Our parents are trying to do everything to like protect us rather than give us the best life, create the best culture, create the best society possible for us to come in and bring the newness that all that happened is that shit just got dumped onto the next generation. At least for me, that became so clear a few days ago. It just landed for me all the way. And then it's just been a cycle. And I'm like, all right, cool. I know I'm done. I know talking to you and feeling you, you're an individual who's like, I'm done as well. We're creating new ways. And that's just how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. I want to get into how, into this conversation. Basically, I think we've both experienced some kind of tipping point, you know, mm-hmm. that took us away from the material world and the expectations that we were born with. Then we go into our self-reflection and we go kind of find ourselves and understand yeah. a little bit more about ourselves. Then we go find and seek a community of mm-hmm. like-minded people that are also found themselves that you can now engage in and have even more deeper connections with. And I think now we're at that tipping point where we want to enter the next level yep. where we want to somehow connect everybody else and awaken everyone else. And this is the hardest part because now we're going to face the resistance of the people that don't want to be included in this space. Like before it was you seeking the community that was comforting you with wide open arms. And now we're going to the place where everyone's got their arms crossed, they're not about it. And this is the resistance I've been facing a lot with my exercise on 100 mass men. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wild. I've already made this anonymous. I've said that we're gonna talk about masculinity. I said, this is a safe space. It's a no judgment zone. No one knows who you are. And I would still get guys lying to me, <laughs> trying to act like they're saying the, the right things in front of me but who cares at this point? And it, it takes so much. Like you just said, 11, 11 sessions, you know, for that other guy who was in a completely inclusive space where mm-hmm. everyone's encouraging everyone to talk. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that resistance? Why do you think men have that resistance? I think, again, it comes back to the societal projections of what it means to be a man, being told to not have feelings, being told to shut down your anger, just simply not being taught how to be a human how to move through the feelings that aren't even ours, 
It's just, it's meant to move through us. And being shamed from a young age, being told that we're not good enough or whatever it may be, that we have to do better. We always have to, we have to produce, we have to produce, we have to perform, we have to perform. So I think that there's just a lot of fear and a lot of men that they're not worthy, that they're not good enough, that they need to put on a facade or a story or a mask to be accepted rather than being shown that they're accepted for who they are and being encouraged to thrive and shine in who they are and recognize that the uniqueness of each individual man, woman, human is just like in a forest. No two leaves are the same. That is the commonplace across the board. Every single man and woman is different and unique. And that's the one thing we share in common. And it's not the only thing we share in common, but that is like one thing across the board that cannot be denied. And because of that, that's our connection point. And so I think that just a lot of men are afraid. They're afraid of themselves because they haven't been shown how to navigate and guide and and live inside themselves. Yeah. And I think boys were raised with a disservice, you know, that they were unable to express themselves emotionally. At least girls and women grow up with that community where they can express themselves. So I think there's a lot more for men to go through in their journey. Whereas, you know, women were blessed with that ability, at least in their community. What is the inner feminine that you talk about a lot? And how does one cultivate that? To me, the inner feminine is listening. The inner feminine is feeling. The inner feminine is receptivity, receiving feedback. The inner feminine is just being in touch with the sensations, being able to feel it, being able to be with it. The inner feminine is also a sense of protection because a mom will protect her child. So there's a sense of protection there as well. And it's not only the voluptuous, curvy, sensual, delicious parts. There's also like the protection. There's also the darkness. There's also the fertility, the void, the dampness, the cold, and being able to like let all of that in and to also be able to let it go to the void and the cold and the darkness. And how I cultivate that is I've just gone back into nature. I've gone into cold baths Mm -hmm. and I've gone into ice baths and cold plunges where I give all of it away. I let the cold take it all. I, I just freely give, just like the earth freely gives. And when I'm in nature and I get to listen to the wind and I get to pay attention to the elements and life all around me, I get to also see that inside myself. I get to pay attention to the wind that moves in my body. I get to pay attention to the fire that moves in my body and the water and the air and the elements. And, and I also, I think a big aspect is creation. What am I creating? Because a big part of the feminine is birthing. And I, I feel like feminine deals a lot with birth and creation, like the birthing aspect of creation. And I feel like masculine deals with the completion and the closing out and the death part of, of creation. And so the more that I've gone into developing my inner feminine, it's thus allowed for my inner masculine to also come online. And so, yeah, it's, it's just been super beautiful to, to allow that in because it's opened up so much back to life for me at least I feel like I mean anytime I think of the inner feminine I think of mother nature and I think of all of the goddesses that are named on earth you know that they are goddesses of certain natural things either it's fertility or the earth or the water mother nature can be tumultuous you know there can be storms that kill people you know there can be growth you know there can be greenery there can be so many aspects and it's a truly powerful thing Mm -hmm. what's uh what is the masculine part? Yeah. 
and is it traditional to what everyone thinks it is, you know, strength and bravery and is it very land material focused in that sense? Yeah, I, I feel like a good analogy that has really landed with me is the river bank and the river analogy. If the water is the feminine and the river banks are the masculine, if there's no masculine, the water or the feminine is just a puddle. It doesn't have any direction, doesn't have any guidance, doesn't have any support. If it's all masculine and no feminine, then there's a dam. It blocks it. It doesn't allow the water to flow. It doesn't allow it to express itself. And if the masculine and the feminine are there, there's the river banks that support the river. And sometimes the river's wider and it's, it's a more of a gentle flow. And sometimes the river banks are a little more narrow and it's just rapids and it's going and it's crashing and the, and the river banks just adapt and move with that and like meet the water and the feminine as it's going. And so I think that the masculine has to do with a lot of the unseen, even though the mystery and the darkness is referred to the feminine. I also feel like the masculine has an aspect that's unseen. In Native American culture, Mother Earth, Father Sky. Father Sky is seen and felt, but can't necessarily be touched. And Father Sky is always there, always around Mother Earth, supporting her, always there, even if she can't see him. She can feel him and she knows that he's there. And I think that there's a big piece of masculinity that actually is completely missed across the board, which is. A true sign of a man's strength is in his gentleness, is in his tenderness, is in the awareness that when he is around people, people feel safer because of him, because he's, he will protect and he's also gentle and he knows how to be loving and tender. And I think that, that that's one of the biggest things that as the masculine is not shared, is not portrayed. And I'm not saying to step away from strength. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that men need to learn how to connect to that. Like in lifting weights, yes, there are explosive movements, but the explosive movement cannot be done unless there is a deep integration and connection to doing it slow, to knowing what the nuances are of that movement. And so lifting weights can both be a masculine and a feminine thing. There can be gentle movements. There can be very mindful and very aware movements. And then there can also be explosive movements. And same thing in life, making love. There can be gentle, tender movement penetration, connection, and there can also be very wild, primal, carnal, excited penetration and connection. Like it doesn't have to be one way or the other. It's just that I feel like men have forgotten that. Men have been guided away from that. And that's, that's a big necessity. And also it creates trust. If a man knows how to be gentle and tender, even if things get heated, if he's able to return to that, he can build trust with other men and other women. Because it's not just anger. He's not just in touch with his anger. He's also in touch with the tenderness and the gentleness and the ability to go slow and, and move with ease. Mm, I love that. I think, I mean, I'm guilty of this where I only know my own gender, right? And I mm. know how women interact with each other and how we're going to react and respond to certain types of women or certain types of behaviors. And I think men are so used to sizing each other up. You know, they have their locker room talk and they're going to think like, am I going to fight this guy or am I going to walk away? You know, and mm. they'll make that judgment call based on whatever they believe that their strength is at. And that's why I think strength has always been so important. But then when you put that into a relationship, you can't just be picking fights with every single guy that you see, because it's not about threat. It's not about like protecting your tribe. It's about connection. So how do you work with men to get 
them to understand where the true priority should be. Cause I think you're right. There is an imbalance and the focus is in the wrong place. Like, I think we're all born with so much strength that that shouldn't be something that we should be prioritizing and trying to level up on each other. So a lot of it is, it's unlearning. A lot of it, there are layers. It's guarding mm-hmm. the tenderness that's inside. And so a lot of the work is, is shadow work and, and processing what, limitations or beliefs or stories stand in the way of the man recognizing that he's already strong, recognizing that he doesn't have to prove anything, helping him to get beyond that and just recognize that his existence is his purpose, is his worth, is the reason why he's here. And most of the times there's a lot of trauma around the masculine with like their father or authority figures and like needing to prove themselves or not being good enough or not being accepted like my grandfather who I so look up to and love and also know that he didn't accept his son and my dad wasn't accepted by his dad and that created a lot of stuff for him for a long time there's there's so much in it for men and once a man can come back to himself can recognize that he's here that when he's breathing that nothing's going on there's nothing that needs to be fixed right now when something calls his attention, it will be so obvious, it's going to be right in front of him, that he doesn't need to think about it. It just is this inner drawing out. When a man can get back to that place and come from that place of not being the fix-it man, not being the man who's trying to solve all these issues, but rather is showing up in himself clear and grounded and creating a culture that he wants to be a part of that's honoring the life that's coming after him, that's honoring the life that has come before him, protecting what's sacred. When a man steps into that space, I notice a lot of those facades can drop and he can really show up in a whole new way. I don't know if you've had this happen before. Have you had men that think that they are self-aware, that have done some self-work, but their self-worth is still hinged upon how women view them, you know, whether it's a partner or if it's their mother. and they act differently. So they've done a lot of self-work and can probably talk to their peers, like other men, honestly and openly about some insecurities. But as soon as it comes to a woman, none of that's there. So why is there that breaking point? That's, those are mommy issues. I'd say that he's still a little boy. Okay. I'd say that he has not stepped into being his own father, being his own mother showing up and recognizing that he's supported and that he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to receive validation through sex, that he doesn't have to perform a certain way, that he can just be accepted as who he is and doesn't place that burden to land on the woman. Because most men probably had that relationship growing up where mommy was there. Mommy was the one who helped him process stuff. Mommy was the one who helped him get through things daddy wasn't available. Daddy wasn't emotionally there. So when he gets older, mommy now is the one who also has to do that, but it's no longer mommy. It's a girlfriend or a partner or a wife or friends. And then that just gets projected onto them. And so I think that one, men need to step into deeper embodiment and ownership embodiment of their inner feminine and their inner masculine and be their own mother and father and regulate and be that sovereign steward of their inner world of the little boy that's inside of them as well as the adult as well as the elder as well as the mom and the dad and there's this inner community that we all have and showing up for that 
And then also doing a lot of work around sexuality and not looking for validation in sex, not looking for the next thing and like being afraid of when they're going to get it again. Because that's, again, coming from a place of scarcity. I think that's a lot of why that happens because men are men want to be perceived as the alpha male or whatever it may be rather than being the alpha male they're worried more so about the perception rather than the embodiment Mm, i think that's huge they want to look like something rather than actually do the work to be that person absolutely when men come to you when they experience difficulties sexually have there been any commonalities there that stem from those feelings of shame or those feelings of you know needing that nurturing figure where does that usually happen and how have people been able to to grow out of that most of the men who come to me who are challenged sexually are dealing with confidence as well as premature ejaculation issues and to me those are intricately related because the reason why a man for the most part, experiences premature ejaculation. One, his body may not be in enough shape. He may not have the cardiovascular health to make sure that the blood flow is pumping and his body is able to regulate the stimulation that he receives. Two, confidence. He's lacking the confidence of just knowing his own body. He doesn't know that ejaculation is just a muscular response. He doesn't know that he can actually choose to release his seed or not, ejaculate or not. And then other confidence stuff is just trauma from not having the awareness of his body and that then causing him a lot of times to go to pornography and looking again, going to an external source for validation or stimulation or authority rather than knowing his own body, knowing what his pleasure is, knowing how to pleasure himself. He's gone to pornography for a long time and that's caused premature ejaculation because of the dopamine addiction cycle that creates in the brain and how that decreases sensitivity and increases premature ejaculation across the board for men. Those are like the main issues that men come to me with, whether they're aware of it or not. I find that out after asking them questions. And then what helps them is a lot of the practices, whether it's through Tantra or Taoist cultivation practices, it's about getting me and getting these men in connection to their body, learning about the pelvic floor, learning about the muscles, learning about how to move energy, learning about how to regulate one's own body, learning how to regulate emotions, learning how to regulate sexual energy, learning how to regulate a creation that someone's giving to the world. When these men are committed and when these men really want to show up for their partner, I turn it back and help them remember that it's first about their relationship with themselves. And when they really shift that relationship, um, I had a conversation with a client this week and he was telling me that he was a dick for the longest time because he felt like shit. Those were his like exact words. I, I do my best to suggest people not to use the word dick as like to describe themselves, but he was just not a nice person because he was not happy and he didn't feel good. And now that with the coaching that I've been helping him with, he's feeling good. And almost once a day, he's having an incident where he cries a little bit because he's feeling bliss, because he's feeling alive and he's feeling grateful to be where he's at. And he's not being an asshole anymore. He's not being mean to people. He's not doing that because he's feeling good about himself because he's turned that lens inward and he's showing up for himself. And as a testimonial and as a result, he had the best sex with his partner they've had in four and a half years. It's it's not because he's doing things different. It's because he's connected to himself and he's playful and he's able to show up in a way where they can connect and they can engage rather than like he's not feeling good and he's expecting her to make him feel good. Exactly. And I think you got it right there in terms of 
hurt people hurt people, right? Like he was definitely hurting already and that's why he was hurting others. And I think a lot of people are just unaware of what they're feeling because they're like, oh, I'm living my normal life. Why should I be hurt? Like, you know, it takes some self-reflection to realize where that comes from. How would you describe improving a sex life? Like, does that include a lot of communication with your partner? And how do you talk about that with (laughs) traditionally, I think men haven't had a problem critiquing a woman's performance. You know, it's either she lets him do this or she doesn't let him do this. And it's always about like (laughs) permission to do something, to enter the back door, to like do whatever, you know what I mean? And I think that's why they kind of like those casual hookups when it's like, oh, she let me do anything. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that makes me feel like it's a bit dangerous because maybe you're just going to choose a drunk girl that's just going to let you do everything because you know what I mean? Yeah. And the whole focus of the goal is access, right? Whereas don't you want a connection? Because then you're not even thinking about her consciousness. You know, you're not thinking about her pleasure. You're not thinking about that person at all. It's just literally a vehicle for you at that point. There are a lot of relationships where it's basically like mutual masturbation where it really isn't connection, where people are engaging sexually yeah. and they're both just trying to get themselves off rather than having this connection and like feeling each other and like paying attention to her breath and paying attention to my breath and she's paying attention to my breath. And when I have these conversations with men, I just bring it back to themselves. I bring it back to who they are. I'm like, you need to know your body because if you don't know your body, then you're not going to be able to show up. And I ask all of them, most of these men who come to me are in relationships. There's a fair amount who aren't in relationship as well. But when they're in a relationship, I just ask them, do you want to please your partner? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, then you need to put your focus on yourself because they think that so much of the focus is on her. But what's happening is they're just doing things to her, to their partner. It's like mm-hmm. she's an object yeah. rather than a human that's a relationship that's in an interactive dynamic relationship where it's like, I need to listen to her because she's breathing that way or she may be crying right now. And like, I'm not going to keep on going. Like maybe I need to breathe and slow down and like be present with her. So a lot of it is just helping men reorient their relationship to sex and sexuality as it's not just sexual penetration as sex. It's helping them recognize that sex is, I think I told you this, or I, I don't think I've said it yet, but like I remind men that the way that they have sex is the way they live life. And the way they live life is the way they have sex and helping them see that sex applies to everything in life, not in a sexual penetration way, but in an energetic penetration. Like how do I enter a room? Do I come in and expect the attention of everyone? Am I trying to like get a rise out of people that could show up in the way that they're having sex because they're trying to do something to get a response out of her rather than pay attention to the connection. It's a powerful Mm -hmm. space to really navigate once men can come back to themselves and step into the sovereign embodiment of their own energy and their process and their pleasure because they then can show up and relate and exchange energy and be present to all of that with another. That just made me reflect on my own sexual lifestyle at the time. Like I would just choose anybody. Mm-hmm. That's how I lived my life. I just took whatever scraps I could get yeah. and there wasn't any tact to it. Like, sure, I, I might feel bad that I was disrespected, but I was disrespecting myself first and foremost by just choosing any deadbeat, almost purposefully choosing not quality people. You know, mm-hmm. you're very right in that sense. And how you don't even realize that a lot of my female friends count orgasms, you know, or they count actions, you know, they'll be like, he has to go down on me before I go down on him. Or like, there's always this tit for tat trade off. Yeah. And 
I mean, transactionality is one of the biggest things that I see across the board is people aren't coming from this place of this overflowing giving. They're like, oh, well, I did that. So you have to do that. If that's the way that humans mm -hmm. are relating, then we're fucked, in my opinion, because everyone's going to be living a transactional <laughs> yeah. relationship. It's like, all right, cool. To be in a relationship with me, you have to do this and do that and do that and do that rather than having standards. If this person meets it, great. If they don't, there's nothing wrong with that. We have to make sure that our standards are met. Mm -hmm. And also maybe we need to revamp what standards we've been given so that way we can actually be clear about what we really want. I think the transactional part is very dangerous when it comes to sex and especially when it comes to hookup culture. <laughs> How would you help people that are casually dating have better interactions with people? Because you're not going to be in a relationship where you can continuously learn about their body sexually you know mm -hmm. and maybe you don't want to maybe you just want to explore sexually with multiple people and that's totally fair game how do you do that in a respectful way where everyone is benefiting and you are being considerate about, about the other person and it isn't just like you know you counting bodies that body count kind of thing yeah I, I think it's just the the embodiment of people's authenticity if that's what someone wants then just be that all the way and, and communicate that and speak that and make sure it's known and be okay with not getting what you want, recognizing that you will get it as long as you say yes to what you want and no to what you don't want. I think a big piece of it is like we were speaking to, like just taking the scraps, just taking whatever's there. I feel like a lot of people sacrifice and sacrifice in a not sacred way because sacrifice means to make sacred. I feel like people settle yeah. and people just go to a place where they're like, oh, well, this is right here, so I might as well get it. And that's coming from a place of lack. So once people can recognize that they're abundant and that they're supported and they need to be who they are, when that's in place and when someone really embraces their desire to explore with multiple partners or to be committed to one person or to be just with themselves, communication is key. And then the second piece is just making sure that we actually show up for ourselves. You were talking about it before. People show up to jobs, people show up to these other things that they don't want to do, but they can't even give themselves an hour a day. They can't give themselves 30 minutes. They can't give themselves 15 minutes, five minutes. And so I would say when people can really drop in and understand how important they are to other people, if I came here and didn't regulate my emotions, didn't show up and clear myself and be present for this conversation, I might not bring myself all the way forward. If I don't do the same thing, if I come back and have crazy interactions in the day and don't clear that so I don't bring that home to my partner, she's going to also deal with that. I'm not a person who's totally into it, but if I'm dating multiple people and I'm telling one person that I'm only into them, but I'm in with other people, I'm leading that person on and I'm creating more damage than actually I think I'm getting for myself. And so communication, I think, is one of the biggest pieces, whether it's multiple partner relating or being in a business or being in a family or whatever it is. If we don't communicate, then assumptions are made and then projections happen and stories are created. And then people are off in their own worlds and they're isolated when they're right next to each other. Yeah. And I think, especially when you start talking about bedroom behavior, private, you know, they don't want to express it. I think it's, insane how many women don't masturbate you know mm -hmm. and my in my experience I used to write all the descriptions for sex toy companies mm. like for their first e-commerce site 
So I had a very unique understanding of masturbation and I used to give sex toys all the time to friends just because I had an abundance of them. Yeah. And anytime I would give them away to, to a friend, a female friend who had a boyfriend at the time, they would always say, well, what's, what's she trying to say about me? And I, and you know, it would result in some kind of fight. And what, for me, it upset me because I'm giving this gift for her to explore herself. Yeah. Like just because she has a partner, that's up for debate if she wants to include him in this process, but this is self-exploration. And I was really upset that he interjected in that and tried to put himself there. And first off, like, why is it an immediate competition if she just wants to understand her own pleasure? And then second of all, like, why do you have to be in the picture? Yep. Like, why is that? A, is that a big, what is it with the, the, the male ego and sexuality and needing to be the only source of pleasure for a woman, I think? It's a sense of control. It's that validation. Hurt people hurt people. So if he, as a man, isn't confident in himself, doesn't trust that she chooses to be with him, if that's their dynamic, whatever it is, there's, there's that lack of trust that it, it is not there. And so he sees that as a threat. He sees that he could be replaced. And rather than recognizing that at any moment, any of us can be replaced, that it doesn't take away from our uniqueness. It just means that like things could change. And in that, in that place, there's, there's fear that's created rather than stepping into an empowered state and saying, all right, cool. If I can potentially be in that place, I want to be the best I can be and give because I don't know what's going to happen next. Rather than doing that, men come from this place of like, well, what does that mean? Like your pleasure in yourself. Do you not like me? Blah, blah, blah. Am I not good enough? All these things that again are just a detriment to individual and relational dynamics. Yeah. And I, I think that then further solidifies their understanding that they're not enough, mm -hmm. you know, puts them even further back in their own self-awareness. And then, you know, there's just a longer journey to go. So yeah, it's, it's tough for sure. Um, so I know that you work a lot with men's groups mm -hmm. and sometimes you work with your partner. Mm -hmm. So how has the dynamic been different in kind of a men's only group versus a partner focus group? There, from my experience, there's a little more challenge at first in the, in the partner group because with just men, men are like, oh, you experienced that too, totally. And, and in the partner dynamic, we're, we're stepping into a bigger level. We're stepping into, okay, now, now that you've done work on yourself, now you get to apply that and see if you can actually relate with another because that person might have trauma or trigger. And, and if that comes at you, do you actually do the work or do you react? Do you, do you meet it or do you turn away from it or run from it or shut yourself off from it? And in, and in the partner space, to me, that's where the work is calling me is to step into that more because we're now coming to a communal level where we're doing community-based healing rather than individual-based healing. We're doing community-based healing. And that's a really powerful and, and potent space that I want to place myself in more because I think that that's what's happening is we're being ushered into 
recognize that the community is what's going to get us through this, especially with this whole pandemic, scandemic, pandemic, whatever people want to call it with what's been going on. Community is the is the, the foundation that's going to get us through anything, whether times are good or bad, community is going to get us through it. And so I think that that's the biggest difference is in, in the communal space, in the masculine and feminine human space, there's, there, that's the next level of healing the collective trauma, of healing the collective wounds and recognizing that it's just an opportunity for us to create what we want to be a part of and to really intentionally use our creative energy, our sexual energy, and, and give to what we want to give to. Amazing. What are some surprising results out of those group works that you've done that you didn't expect? Breakthroughs in, in trust, just people recognizing and realizing how, how much trust was lacking. And once they saw that they were, they were able to shift and like bring a relationship back together. I've watched a mother and a father who were on the brink of divorce come back together because they recognize the importance of loving each other. So that way they can be an example for their daughter. I've seen, I've seen people who were broken up actually recognize that they were just wounded and that they actually did want to be with each other, but they didn't know how to navigate the sensation and the feelings. And so it's just continuously reminded me how important it is that we remember to gather in our own biological based structures, as well as in our human race and our human community. I would love for you to, in your own words, explain a little bit more about your free workshop that you have coming up soon. Thank you. Yeah, I've got this challenge called the Penetrate Your Challenge. It's a free five-day challenge for men to step into their full masculine embodiment. And we're going to be exploring all things around semen retention and purpose. The whole thing called Penetrate Your Purpose is helping men recognize that the penetrative aspect is more of an energetic internal embodiment and purpose is what we give to the world. And so physical movement, rewilding, sexual alchemy, food and nutrition, relationship dynamics, all of that is going to be brought into it. And I've got some amazing co-hosts, Stefano Sifandos, Lauren Kren, Kevin Oros, um, Kareem Manuel, Andrew Huvar, and Benjam, Benjamin individuals who in their own way are creators, are relationship coaches, deep intimacy coaches, just community gatherers, creators. And then I've also got some amazing prizes that men can win. Cordyceps, which is really good for masculine sexual vitality. Live Ultimate, these nutritional powders that are from mushrooms and different superfoods. The aerial sex goddess swing. So for men who have partners, my partner, my sweetheart, she is donating an aerial yoga set but it's a sex swing that's helping people to create more play and intimacy and connection in their sexual dynamic and it's got a whole manual and we're making a diy lube with that i'm giving away my sovereign and shameless course a one spot in the sovereign and shameless course so there's opportunities for men who participate to win those things and like i said it's a free challenge i'm offering what i can to support men because it's a big issue that doesn't only face 
individual, like in a relationship dynamic, it faces all of society. And so I just want to help the earth. I want to help my sisters, the women of this earth. I want to help my brothers of this earth to all thrive and live. This is an offering to help them do that and ultimately just build deeper brotherhood and opportunities to support each other as well. That is beautiful. That sounds like an amazing challenge and there's some cool gifts there and so many thoughtful people, right? I think Mm -hmm. that that's going to be amazing. So if you haven't, please check it out and sign up. And where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram, my name, Devin Fredrickson, my website, devinfredrickson.com. Facebook. Those are the best ways. And I'm here to support however I can and show up in the most embodied, integrous way. Thank you so much, Devin. What a gift. I hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to sign up for his challenge. I've got all the links in the show notes. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe as I'll be dropping some more masked men for you next Wednesday. Bye for now.